Welcome to HealthFail, where we explore failure in healthcare from the highly publicized to the never-before-told stories of failures that have birthed healthcare transformation and innovation. On this episode of HealthFail, we sit down with Ivo Nelson to discuss how failure throughout his life and career has led to success as a healthcare industry icon. We talk with Ivo as he launches his first book, The 10 Principles of a Love-Based Culture. I'm your host, Zach Jiwa. And I'm co-host, Stephen Cutberth. We hope you enjoy this episode of Health Fail. All right, good afternoon, everyone. And we are sitting down this afternoon with Mr. Ivo Nelson. Ivo is an icon in the healthcare uh, technology space, and uh, he's a good friend and personal mentor uh, of mine. But we're really here to sit down and talk about uh, failure. So welcome to the show, Ivo. Hey, thanks, Zach. It's great to be here. Well, um, we normally start by talking a little bit about uh, personal failure, and um, we're we're really interested to hear from someone with such a, a kind of history past and, and background. I guess history story well, probably, past is negative, but uh, good, uh, a good background. Yeah. But it might be good to even talk about that a little bit, just to yeah. help the listeners know who you are, Ivo, and yeah, who's your Ivo? Yeah, who, who is Ivo? Who, who, who is Ivo? are you, oh. and what do you care about? So. Ivo is a mud wrestler. <laughs> Came out of Siberia. Okay, I've had this great career mud wrestling, you know. But, you can pull uh, that off. Some of these Norwegian women, you know, they give me a they give me a good run for the money. Okay. Uh, no, I, I am I I really describe myself first and foremost is as an entrepreneur, and that uh, really, in my opinion, entrepreneurs are born that way. It's genetic, and it didn't take me long you know, in business to really get the fact that that was the path that, that I was going to go down. Um, even as a young boy, man, I was mowing lawns, I did newspaper routes, I sold snow cones out in front of the house. I can't say I ever made any money in anything doing that, but uh, I'd even hoard my Halloween candy until, <laughs> until it rotted. You know, because I wanted to save my money, and that was money to me when you're a little kid. That candy, baby, that's money. You would eat your money. I don't know. If you were an entrepreneur, you would have sold it, right? (laughs) I thought you were going to say you were going to hoard it and wait for a scarcity, and then you were going to sell it at a premium. That's a good point, you know. I wish I was that savvy when I was that young. But but I've had a a, a great career, and I'm not done yet. Uh, I did chronicalize a lot of what I've learned, good and bad, you know, mistakes and successes, both in the book Love-Based Culture, which is a business book, okay, so you think about love-based culture, uh, love is the opposite of fear, and this is a book that shares a lot of experiences that I've had and how love is, frankly, a better way to build a business, not just in terms of people, but also in, if we're investors as well, you know, you just better. So, so where have I failed? Well, and if you want to start with the business side, we, we tend to we tend to go through a process where we talk about personal failure um, and professional failure. So sure. we well, can start me, wherever you want to. Let me start with a. I'll start with a business failure here. Um, and you know, for those people who are listening, my all of my business experiences, primarily with health technology, healthcare technology largely on the services side. I've been involved with some software companies, but the bulk of my actually running companies as a CEO is with uh, consulting firms. And uh, so so here's, here's one of the greatest lessons I learned, okay? You go to bookstores 
and you walk down the aisle and you look at business books, a large majority of them are going to have the word focus in mm. there. Many business leaders learn the hard way about focus, as did I, okay? And I thought I understood business uh, until I lost a deal once up in Oklahoma to a bigger consulting firm that had sold at the CEO level. They'd sold, they'd sold into the CIO, an IT strategy. These guys weren't known for strategy, but they had a relationship mm. with the CEO. Okay, They got the relationship because they'd done a strategic market plan for the entire healthcare system. So I figured, I don't like to lose. And I lost this deal. I've got to get into that business so I can get those higher level relationships and win. So uh, I went out and acquired three boutique strategy companies. And it was a disaster. I ain't kidding. It was a disaster. Now, this is a disaster on multiple levels, okay? First off, uh, I just did it, okay? I mean, I didn't consult with my team. I didn't put my smart people. I didn't listen to people who I knew I needed to listen to. I assumed that they wouldn't understand that side of the business, that I was smarter than they were, and I could just go make this decision, go make it happen, okay? And my CFO followed me right along the way. Well, guess what happens? Of course, these guys come in. We can't integrate them because culturally, they're two completely different concepts of companies. Uh, their business models are way different than ours. How they built relationships and how they even bill for their businesses were different. Culturally, their people and our people didn't mesh together at all, okay? Um, and the fact that I had brought them in without listening to the smart and very capable team of people that I had built over the years didn't make them feel so good about having to make them a part of our family. Yeah. Okay. So the integration problem. It took me. I mean, it was a struggle. I mean, it was it was the hardest year I think I had in business. We we had grown revenues year after year, never missed a beat, hit our all our targets and goals in this year. It didn't happen. I was so distracted with this group, these different groups, you know, and, and they were too, okay? I realized at some point that I had made a big mistake. And keep in mind. Uh, can you remember Can you, can you you remember the precise moment when you, when you knew that you'd made yep, a big mistake? Yep, absolutely, I can. Yeah. I had asked one of, uh, one of their consultants to come in and map out what our potential services would be, okay? And she had done all her homework. You know, this lady was a PhD nurse, very smart. And, and again, she was one of the acquired people along with her partner in this other firm. Uh, and her partner had not even tried to become a part of the team. He was obnoxious, you know, he was negative. She got up on the board and wrote more services up on the board than we had people. <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing and all along the while, this partner that she had, he, she had was sitting in the back of the room laughing at the whole thing and criticizing her and criticizing other people. Mm. And I'm sitting in my chair and I'm looking at the board and I'm looking at him and I just went, that's it. So I stopped the meeting, okay, stopped the meeting. And I said, I need everybody to leave right now. And I pointed to him and said, except you. <laughs> Everybody's like wide-eyed. They all get up, they all walk out of the room, and I look at him and say, this ain't working, is it? He says, no, not really. I said, okay, fine, you're gonna have to go. 
you know, and I'll take care of her later. And so he left. She eventually, you know, left. And I ended up unwinding all of the companies that I had acquired, gave them soft landings back in the market so that they still had their businesses and they could continue to run them as independent businesses. It set us back a full year, okay? It hurt them some, but they all kind of landed on their feet. And then I had to go back and pull my team together and apologize. Hmm. Okay, yeah. I had to apologize because I had shown a lack of respect to people who had gotten us to where we were at that time, you know. And I walked away from that. And then, and then the, a great thing happened, okay. We got together and said, look, looked at that board of gajillions of different services, said, let's, let's do one or two things and let's be the best at it, okay. Clear the board. Yeah, that's not, that sounds like um, that sounds like you know Apple nineteen ninety five ninety six. Right, exactly like right. we've got too many SKUs. Um, you you reference something that that we've talked about, and actually something that I've learned from you, and that is when you know, you know, and whether that's a specific person that has to go or something that has to change, your gut tells you or whatever it is. When you when you know, you know. Talk about talk about that for a little bit, maybe even extend it beyond this circumstance, because um, I've just been fascinated to try to figure out how to listen to my to my gut and make those decisions sure. sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, you know, where where you see that manifest itself the most is with individual people, because you want them to work out, right? You hire a man, and you want them to work out. Now here you got some people that I you know, unilaterally made decisions on. They didn't go through a team process like we did everything else. And they weren't working out. Now, there was but you a, also, But you also made a gut decision. Gut when decision. You, know, you, knew, you made a gut decision to go right. into this foray and to, to go acquire these companies and do this business. So right. I think that's the contrast that I'm looking for. Right. Is, but, but, here's, but here's this. It's a, it's a great question. It's really a great question. And the reason why is that you, you while... I think it's good to trust your gut. You've got to validate that with other people who are as smart or smarter than you are, okay? Because your gut's not always right. And in this case, you know, I made a decision. It was a bad decision. My gut, you know, pointed me in the wrong direction. So that's why I had to go back and apologize to my team and say, look, I made a mistake, you know? Yeah. when I say, and, and that's just as important in the whole process. I mean, that's the learning from failure, right? How do you get from failure to success? I had, I had to go back and earn their love back in a way. You know, I mean, we had a loving environment. I screwed it up. I had to go back and get their trust. I had to re-earn their trust, and that starts with asking for forgiveness. That's okay. Great. <clears throat> How has that experience played out in your life? So you learned something. From that experience, right? And how has that played out, kind of, in your personal life? Have you been able Have you been able to take those learnings into your personal life? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, I've had um, a, a great. In fact, in fact, there is a love story in this book. Okay, you go to chapter one. This is a spoiler alert. Okay, <laughs> I haven't read you the go, book either yet. So yeah, I'm gonna I, plug my ears. Yeah. So a fail, a fail, failed love story. This is a this is a successful love story, but it could have gone the other way. Yeah. Okay, but again, you know, I uh, was a busy guy running a 
huge organization uh, and totally lost focus on the balance that I needed to have in, in my personal life. Uh, I was giving everything to my career and lost focus on the love, loving relationship that I had built with my wife and, and we temporarily lost it. Now to make a long story short, uh, we did end up getting divorced in March and we got remarried in December and I needed that nine months to cool my heels, get away from it all, realize what a jerk I was, yeah. how my big head was just a big head and that my arrogance couldn't touch you know, the love that I should have been showing for her. And again, I had to go back and I had to apologize and I had to ask for forgiveness and, uh, and ask for forgiveness and then demonstrate the fact that, that I can show balance in my life and not let work overwhelm me. And, and so Ivo, you and Sally have been married for how long? Uh, almost 30 years. Combined. Yeah. At right. what point in your marriage was that? We don't count this little nine month stint <laughs> and guess what else? The IRS doesn't either. <laughs> okay? Because it's, it's inside of a year. That's great. It's not that it's less than a year. It's in between January no. and December, okay? This is this is like the the greatest fail story. <laughs> yeah. This is the greatest fail to success story whenever you can, you know. How many people do you know that, that divorced and married? In the same year. In the same yeah, year. I mean, that's in impressive. the same year, yeah. yeah. Let me tell you. It's, uh, well, thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that, uh, that part of your life. Yeah. How do you... Uh, so, I, you have kids. Uh, your Three kids, children. So your kids saw that, and so how do you how do you model failure in your in your family in your life? Maybe when they were growing up, they saw this divorce and remarriage. I assume they were still young at the time. But how, how do you talk about failure in your home? Well, I mean, uh, I, they did live through that, but <laughs> you know, and and, and to say that those experiences don't do damage to your kids is is naive mm-hmm. okay it, it does you know I mean, it just flat out does I mean these you know you want your kids to grow up in in a harmonious loving world all the time but when they come home they feel the tension mm. you know they feel the anger okay you may not be yelling at each other but that quiet hatred mm-hmm. uh, is pervasive and, and so, again, a part of this process, I had to sit down. The only, I just had one kid at home at the time. I had to sit down with her and tell her that I had made a mistake and that it was my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, don't blame your mom for this, okay? You need to blame your dad. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, again, the other side of it is, you know, it's life, okay? This is right. life. I mean, and it's real. People who go through life and they don't have these kind of hiccups or these speed bumps are people that probably aren't testing, you know, the limits enough. Mm-hmm. They're taking the easy way. They stagnate. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's this. And that's just never been my style. So you got I don't. I don't even know if that's true. I don't know that I believe that it's stagnant. I think that people, I think that, that life is hard. Marriage is hard. Business is hard. And anybody who's putting up a facade that it's all rainbows and unicorns is lying to themselves and lying to everyone else. And, I mean, that's why we're talking about failure. Yeah, yeah. That's why we have a show called Health Fail is I'm kind of tired of talking about all the great successes of unicorn startups and health tech companies and, yeah. and how healthcare is succeeding. Because, first of all, we can look and, and maybe we want to pivot and just talk about healthcare for a little bit. Sure. But we can look at the healthcare system 
Um, and Steve and I did a show not too long ago on on you know just what's happening in you know in politics and in the healthcare systems and you know post Affordable Care Act and all of that sort of stuff. And we really need to talk about the failure so that we can get over ourselves and figure out how to how to fix it. So, what are your thoughts on you know where we are, 2019 of of April 2019, and we're kind of in the middle of political winds that are talking a lot about Medicare for all. Um, you know, we're post uh, post ACA, we're post all the money that flooded in for EHRs. Where where are we in the cycle of of healthcare, and what's going to change? And how is it going to change? What failure are we going to have to get to? I think we're dead in the water. <laughs> Great. There's no hope. We can shut down All right. Oh, I think, or maybe know, we'll have a show for a really long time. We can talk no, about it. Was a, I wish I could remember the name of this book, but uh, it was a good book on, on health care. There's many books on health Everybody's got an answer to health care, okay? Mm-hmm. But this person's conclusion was that until it becomes an absolute crisis, that we have, what we were forced to deal with, then we're not going to see substantial change. Okay, and I think that's what we see in our society is that when all of a sudden, you know, everything is hitting the fan, and it's do or die. Then this is a country that can rise to the occasion. This is a country that can rise to the occasion and then go solve big problems. Okay, but the division amongst the parties right now, ability to be able to come to consensus on anything. I, I think it's probably not going to happen until it gets so bad that, it's, that it literally blows up. And I'm frankly not sure we're there yet. Okay. Mm. Uh, I remember in the early 90s, I went and had a friend of mine who was head of health care for Gartner put up a slide. And it was, it was a train. In the middle of the slide was a train that had fallen off the tracks. And the whole slide was... This is a train wreck, and it is not sustainable. Healthcare is not sustainable with the current model. Okay, now that was in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Was, we were just okay. talking about. Well, you could use that same slide now; it still applies. Well, that's you know? my question: is what we just talked about this because we is twenty percent GDP. The break, what's is, the breakpoint? Because we're at like eighteen. Is twenty percent where we're like, oh my gosh? What's the breakpoint? Or is it not? Maybe we're measuring it the wrong way. Maybe it's not about percent GDP. Maybe it's about you know a mom can't get care for her kids. Like, like, what is it that causes that break point that we finally wake up and say, man, we got to do something different? Well, I think it's going to be the economy at the end of the day, you know, when all of a sudden it becomes, Money. really becomes, I mean, what are we at now? 18% of the gross national product yeah. or something yeah. like that. You know, what about if it gets up? I don't know what the number is, 25%, 30%, you know, I mean, at some point there is going to be a breakage point, you know, and I... And, and then I think something something you know you know can happen. Uh, again, I think I, I believe in the United States of America. I really mm-hmm. do. And I have had the benefit, unlike many people who travel in the world, as a healthcare professional, I've seen many many socialist systems out there, and uh, and I and, and and a lot of them, frankly, are better than ours. Okay, but. They're way different. They're yeah. not nearly our size. They don't. They have homogeneity. They don't have the diversity that we have. They don't have the deep, deep history, cultural history that, that we have. You know, their doctors make a half to a third what ours do. You know, it's dramatically different. That allows them, mm-hmm. I think, to have some of those environments. What we do is going to have to be unique to the United States. It's going to require innovation, uh, and it's going to require cooperation. And that's the part that we struggle with. Yeah. 
Well, I think we've, um, you and I have talked a lot about healthcare, and I think you're uh, at the point in your career and your life that you're like, I don't want to spend any time thinking about that. <laughs> I don't know how, how many years you spent in healthcare, but uh, it, it was a meaningful amount, and, and your uh, your interests have really changed, and I've enjoyed um, the last 10 years of relationship that I've had with you and watched that, uh, and they've, they've been a great personal um, benefit to me. So let's transition and, and give you some opportunity to talk about your new book, uh, The Love, Love-Based Culture. Um, you and, and your former business partner, Dana Sellers, so I guess she's still right. your business partner if you're writing books together, Yeah, uh, wrote this book, published it on uh, April 2nd, and so we uh, have a bunch of copies uh, around here. Um, but tell me about, uh, tell me what you hope to accomplish. Well, maybe start before. You're shifting out of healthcare. Now you're focused on, on what, and what do you hope for this book to accomplish? Who's the reader of this book? So, you know, the, the reader is anybody in business where they want to try to help create a culture that's void, not totally void of fear, okay, but where fear is not pervasive within their organization. It could be a CEO, it could be an early stage entrepreneur, uh, could be someone who's running a division of a, of a company, but you know, there clearly are ways to run a business that inspires teamwork, where everybody feels like they've got each other's back, where people come to work and they like coming to work. They feel proud of the company they work for. They go home and they talk to their family about how lucky they are to have what they have, where the interaction they have with their bosses goes way beyond just a professional relationship time sometimes their bosses are showing up at their father's funeral their bosses are cutting them some slack when they've got a kid that's homesick sometimes you know and where that kind of a culture creates a sense of loyalty for people where they'll go the extra mile now beyond that i think i think a lot of businesses now are starting to wake up to the fact that their responsibility to the world goes beyond just making a profit for investors. Mm-hmm. And many investors want their investments to be more than just something they're, they're going to get a return on. These are powerful, powerful, powerful organizations out there. And they, in fact, can make a huge impact. And people want that. We've got a young workforce coming in of millennials where they're choosing their jobs based on whether a company has an intent to make a difference in the world. Okay, that's that's what they they want to make a difference. They want it to be more than a job, and they want it to be more than a paycheck. And I think in in everybody's heart of hearts, they want that. They just don't believe it can happen. Okay, they can't imagine that a business can be that good. Okay, and yet it can. It absolutely can. And there are businesses out there that are like that. Okay, I also believe that most leaders are like that. I don't think. Most leaders inherently want to lead with fear. They just happen to have grown up in cultures and been mentored by people where that's all they know, okay? But the fact is that they're given permission to lead differently and to lead with what I'm calling love, and it sounds kind of funky to say that you're going to lead with love in a business, okay? Well, do you think do you think it's intentional? I mean, certainly you can be intentional about leading with love, but do you think that... Um you know, CEOs or leadership teams that lead a company that we would qualify as a, a fear-based culture. Do you think that's intentional? I don't think it's intentional. No, I, mean, I think that I think that 
I think they naturally, their natural leadership style is to not lead with fear. I think they have just grown up in environments where that's all they know. Mm-hmm. And if they could, again, if they could be given permission to say, and, some, and a little bit of mentoring and some education on that there's a different way to do it. I think this goes all the way down to our educational systems, you know. This stuff isn't taught in the, at the college. You go get your MBA and say, where, where, it, where is it in the curriculum where you really talk about healthy cultures? Where is it that you've ever even heard the word gratitude or forgiveness? You know, when, you, when you're going through school, as the way that you can have healthy interactions, sometimes when conflicted, at work. Yeah. You don't hear you did, those words never come up. I, I bet it does at, at Baylor, right? Don't well, you? actually, <laughs> to, to that point, those one, those one I'm teaching. There you what go. What I was going to say is, I so I I am a Baylor undergrad. We've we've discussed this in the past. I took a class on nonprofit marketing. I think it was in that class we talked about those things. Did you? But that's because I think the nonprofit world sees that, and it's almost like more acceptable there. But then we put business in a different category, and we say you are either for profit. Or your nonprofit. Right. Nonprofit can love and care for people. For profit can't. And I right. hate that. Yeah. I, I can't stand it. Like I, I told Zach when I came to work here, I don't want to work for a nonprofit. I want to work for a company that's creating value and, and is sustainable within the funds that we create for ourselves. So I, I, I like that you're trying to do that. You're trying to bring those two together. Look, let's keep let's 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 keep in mind that the only difference between a nonprofit and a for profit is tax status. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing to do with what you're doing. We're talking about hospitals. Absolutely. Okay. That's it's true. just a yeah. tax status. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's no reason why there should be any difference between the two. When you were doing research for this book, um, did you, or, or there, is there any data or statistics that, that show, you know, kind of the success rate, failure rate of companies led by love versus led by fear? Did mm-hmm. you run into that's that at question. all? You know, uh, it's it's not a metric that's tracked even whether you are love-based or fear-based I think one of the thoughts that I have right now is to kind of what's next is to come up with a, a, a really professionally done questionnaire where we can essentially come up with a rating system for companies and so and, and it actually give people a chance to kind of become kind of like your your love become, fear dial that you have in the yeah, room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let them come in and say we are part of their promotion, a part of what they brag about every day is that just like quality, okay? You can yeah. have, you can you can you can have quality awards that you win. Okay? That doesn't mean you're fear or love based. But uh, I think comp- pe- people want to work for love based companies. They would value the fact that if there was some some way that some place they could go and get a gauge as to whether a company's love based or not would help them make a decision on hiring. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I just wonder, like you know, 360 performance reviews. Where where does this fit in to to most large companies? Is you know measure measure your your peers and measure your boss is love versus fear scale on that performance measurement. Um, well, I'm a huge fan of 360. Yeah. Because it creates self awareness. Right. And as I say in the book, you know, 85 percent of people are not self-aware and that's from professional study that's been done 85 percent of people they don't know who they are okay and their perspective well i'm not one of them (laughs) (laughs) none of us are no no one in the room (laughs) i'm kidding you know it's just uh it it's 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 scary that it when it's when when you have information revealed about you that is different than the way you think of yourself so most people just avoid it yeah you know but it is 
how much how, what could be more important to you being authentic as a leader to being transparent and what do your people really want they want to know who you are really right. they want to be dealing with a real human being and not some facade that you're walking around with like you think you're some kind of a cool dude you know right now you're a cool dude okay <laughs> wow. so you're a really cool dude okay? yeah, like, cool dudes have long hair and, that, and, that, and long and hippie hair let's not talk about hair yeah, and that close cut <laughs> beard uh, <it's, laughs> that was my question uh i have a question um tying health fail and failure back to love it seems to me that failure is the perfect opportunity to talk about love so how do you tie that together yeah so that's a great great question and the the link is what did you learn Mm-hmm. Okay, so in fear-based companies, there's no learning. There's just discipline. You know, you made a mistake. You're going to get some pain for that mistake in, in hopes that you don't ever do it again because you don't want to experience that pain again. In love-based companies, you make a mistake. It's a learning process, mm-hmm. okay? And, we, and you're going to be better next time, right? I mean, I, I, I uh, grew up under Ross Perot. Uh, this guy, he... One of the early things I remember him saying is is that everybody's gonna fail. Mm. Okay, if you don't fail, and again, you're you're not really testing the limits. The difference between A performers and Z performers is that A performers, when they fail, they come back and they hit grand slam home runs. Okay, because they take it as a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just as you were saying that I was thinking about how true what you just said is you can replace company with family, right? And if you look at the way that you parent your children and the way that you interact at home, it's no different in a love-based culture as it is a love-based family versus a fear-based family. Love, I, you know, with, with, as, a, as a father of four children, I think <laughs> about that a lot. Yeah. Um, it's really... It's really comforting to be able to be the same person that I am at work as I am at home. Not that I'm perfect at a love-based culture or a love-based family, but it's really amazing to be able to be the same person that I am at work as I am at home and not be, you know, daddy at home, loving daddy at home and, you know, yeah. the, the hardcore yeah. leader or vice versa. I'm, I'm probably actually more disciplinary at home than I am at work, <laughs> if, if we want to be truthful about well, but it. But you know, uh, there's a reality, and, and books have been written about this. The parent that you are, that your oldest child will remember, is a different parent than the youngest child, because you learn and you grow mm-hmm. as you're raising your I kids. I mean, it's a perfect point. You know? I, I, I know that. It's I the same a, in business. I have a you know? 12-year-old and a 5-year-old, and I am a different parent uh, at the at at any given age to those two kids. The CEO that I needed to be as a startup entrepreneur is a different CEO than I needed to be at $10 million, which was a different CEO than I needed to be running a $100 million company. If I had taken that company to a billion, which I've never done, I've just hit the $100 million mark, it had been even even a different CEO, or I would have gotten whacked out along the way somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably more likely, you know, but I had to be consciously understanding that I needed to reinvent myself at each step of the way. You know? And I think with parenting, it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think we've uh, we've expended our time allotment with, with you, Mr. Ivo. I really appreciate your time. I think one last question that maybe we should make a habit of. Um, I'm kind of curious to know, as an author, 
Uh, what's on your bookshelf, your Audible list, or your, you know, what are you reading right now? Well, love-based culture is a full-time job. Well, what's the book you just recommended? I can't think of the name of it. The Twelve Rules for Life. Twelve Rules for Life. Uh, So, you know, I I tend to read things. I I read a lot more nonfiction, and I read very little fiction. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's good, frankly, okay, because I need to learn to relax and just sit back and, and, and... and, I was going to say, your life be, looks like a fairy tale, so you yeah, live fiction, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I have this compulsion to constantly improve myself and the awareness I have of the world around me. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm not necessarily a voracious reader, but the stuff that I do read tends to be not, and I read a lot of stuff that's more spiritual in nature, too. You know, yeah. I think that, you know, the business stuff is fine, but, you know, how do you improve yourself can only go so far. I really want to also be able to expand my consciousness and become closer to God and uh, books that can help me understand how to do that better uh, are of great use. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us uh, today on the Health Fail podcast. We really appreciate it. And, um, you're welcome back anytime uh, right. when, you, when you author your next book, Love Based Family, or, or whatever it happens to be. But Let me go back, have, I need to go have about five more failures. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next episode, yeah. yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll have some too. Yeah, but, uh, but thanks so much. All we right. really appreciate you being here today. Thanks, Evan. Thank you.